Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 303. Today's big Bible question is an important one. How can we be happy in the Lord? Well, happy Lord's Day to you, dear friends. As I do on Sundays, please indulge me and allow me to invite you to join our online church gathering today at 11 a.m. Pacific. We will be covering today's reading in 2 Kings, where Elisha opens the eyes of the king of Israel, or rather, God opens the eyes of the king of Israel, to the spiritual world that is all around them. We will seek to have our eyes open as to what the Bible teaches about the spiritual realm and what might be going on unseen by us. So join us at our Facebook page, which is VBC Salinas, Victor Bravo Charlie Salinas, VBC Salinas. Just look that up, like our page, and you'll get notifications when we go live. And please let us know you're listening or watching. Comment whether you're watching live or later on. You can do either one. Now, our Bible readings for today are 2 Kings 6, just mentioned, Psalms 119, 1-24, which is our focus passage, Daniel chapter 10, and 1 Timothy chapter 3. Today we're focused on being happy in the Lord, and we are going to hear from one of my absolute heroes in the faith, George Mueller, the mighty man of faith and a mighty man of prayer. If you've ever read his diaries, I would say go, if you've never read his diaries, that is, I would say go out and find a copy and just start reading them. The diaries or journals might be a slightly manlier word of George Mueller and David Brainer are both some of the best and most encouraging things I have ever read. Now, Mueller was a pastor and writer who lived an extraordinary life, founding the first orphanages in England caring for over 10,000 orphans through those orphanages, traveling as a missionary all over the world, even after the age of 70, and pastoring churches, all the while never asking for a cent, or I guess a pence, of money from people. No fundraising, no campaigns, nothing. When he or the church or the orphanages or the orphans had needs, he simply made those needs a matter of persistent, quiet prayer, and God answered those prayers again and again and again and again and again, and his journals are just chock full of thousands and thousands of answered prayers that he prayed. Now, I love that Mueller talks so much about happiness and the importance of happiness. Now, not many Christians do talk about happiness. Not many pastors do. Instead, pastors speak more of joy, as if joy was a more noble and spiritual thing to attain to. But I kind of find that the Bible actually uses happiness and joy in sort of synonymous sorts of ways. I don't think one of those is more spiritual than the other. Some people maybe you've met some of them, have this image of Christians as cosmic killjoys. And, you know, I can understand that to a degree because some of us act like uh, somberness is sort of a fruit of the Spirit. Mueller was not that way at all. He exhorted Christians to the importance of walking in happiness, saying, We have, through the Lord's goodness, been permitted to enter upon another year, and the minds of many among us will no doubt be occupied with our plans for the future and the various spheres of service in which, if our lives will be spared, we will be engaged. The welfare of our families, the prosperity of our businesses, our work and service for the Lord may be considered the most important matters to be attended to, but according to my judgment, the most important thing to be attended to is this— Above all things, see to it that your souls are happy in the Lord. 
Other things may press upon you. The Lord's work may even have urgent claims upon your attention, but I deliberately repeat it is of supreme and paramount importance that you should seek above all other things to have your souls truly happy in God himself. Day by day, seek to make this the most important business of your life. This has been my firm and settled conviction for the last 35 years. For the first four years after my conversion to Christ, I knew not how important this was. But now, after much experience, I specially commend this point to the notice of my younger brethren and sisters in Christ. The secret of all true effectual service is joy in God and having experimental acquaintance and fellowship with God himself. Now, that's a great quote, and it's easy to encourage somebody to be happy. Uh, cheer up, buddy, <laughs> but perhaps quite another thing to actually be happy. Never fear, however, because Mueller is going to share what he believes is the secret to deep and abiding happiness in the Lord. But first, we're going to see if we can find it in our Psalms passage today. Psalm chapter 119, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible How happy are those whose way is blameless and who walk according to the Lord's instruction. Happy are those who keep his decrees and seek him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong. They walk in his ways. You have commanded that your precepts be diligently kept. If only my ways were committed to keeping your statutes, then I would not be ashamed. When I think about all your commands, I will praise you with an upright heart. When I learn your righteous judgments, I will keep your statutes. Never abandon me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping your word. I have sought you with all my heart. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. Lord, may you be blessed. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I proclaim all the judgments from your mouth. I rejoice in the way revealed by your decrees as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and think about your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Deal generously with your servants so that I might live. Then I will keep your word. Open my eyes so that I may contemplate wondrous things from your instruction. I am a resident alien on earth. Do not hide your commands from me. I am continually overcome with longing for your judgments. You rebuke the arrogant, the ones under a curse who wander from your commands. Take insult and contempt away from me, for I have kept your decrees. Though princes sit together speaking against me, your servant will think about your statutes. Your decrees are my delight and my counselors. Well, I think we found some hints in there about happiness in the Lord. So let's see what Mueller has to share with us on the secret of happiness and how to begin each day in a state of happiness in the Lord. He says this, While I was staying at Nailsworth, it pleased the Lord to teach me a truth irrespective of human instruments, as far as I know, the benefit of which I have not lost. The point is, I saw more clearly than ever before that the first and great primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. The first thing to be concerned about was not how much I might serve the Lord, how I might glorify the Lord, but how I might get my soul into a happy state and how my inner man might be nourished. For I might seek to set the truth before the unconverted. I might seek to benefit other believers. I might seek to relieve the distressed. I might in other ways seek to behave myself as it becomes a child of God in this world. And yet, not being happy in the Lord and not being nourished and strengthened in my inner man day by day, all of this might not be attended to in a right spirit. 
Before this time that God showed me this truth, my practice had been for at least 10 years previously as a habitual thing to give myself to prayer in the morning after I dressed myself. Now I saw that the most important thing I had to do was to give myself first to the reading of the Word of God and to meditation on it that my heart would be comforted, encouraged, warned, reproved, instructed, and that thus, by means of the Word of God, While meditating on it, my heart might be brought into experimental communion with the Lord. I began, therefore, to meditate on the New Testament from the very beginning early in the morning. The first thing I did, after having asked in a few words the Lord's blessing upon his precious word, was to begin to meditate on the word of God, searching, as it were, into every verse to get blessing out of it. Not for the sake of public ministry of the word, not for the sake of preaching on what I had meditated on, but for the sake of obtaining food for my own soul. The result I have found to be almost invariably is this, that after a very few minutes my soul has been led to confession or to thanksgiving or to intercession or to supplication, so that though I did not, as it were, give myself to prayer, but to meditation, yet it turned almost immediately more or less into prayer. When I have been for a while making confession or intercession or supplication or have given thanks, I go on to the next words or verse, turning all as I go on into prayer for myself or others, as the word may lead it, but still continually keeping before me that food for my own soul as the object of my meditation. The result of this is that there is always a good deal of confession, thanksgiving, supplication, or intercession mingled with my meditation, and that my inner man almost invariably is even sensibly nourished and strengthened, and that by breakfast time, with rare exceptions, I am in a peaceful, if not happy, state of heart. Thus also the Lord is pleased to communicate unto me that, which either very soon after or a later time, I have found what I studied or read to become food for other believers, though it wasn't for the sake of any sort of ministry of the word that I gave myself to meditation, but for the benefit of my own inner man. The difference between my former practice and my present one is this. Formerly, when I woke up, I began to pray as soon as possible and generally spent all my time till breakfast in prayer, or almost all the time. At all events, I almost invariably began with prayer, except when I felt my soul to be more than usually barren, in which case I read the word of God for food or for refreshment or for a revival and renewal of my inner man before I gave myself to prayer. But what was the result? I often spent a quarter of an hour, half an hour, or even an hour on my knees before being conscious to myself of having derived any sort of comfort, encouragement, humbling of my soul, etc., and often after having suffered much from wandering of mind for the first ten minutes or a quarter of an hour or even half an hour, I only then began really to pray. I scarcely ever suffer now in this way, for my heart, being nourished by the truth, being brought into experimental fellowship with God, I speak to my father and to my friend, vile though I am and unworthy of it, about the things that he has brought before me in his precious word. 
It often now astonishes me that I did not sooner see this point, and no book did I ever read about it, no public ministry ever brought the matter before me, no private discussion with a brother stirred me up to this matter, and yet now, since God has taught me this point, it is as plain to me as anything that the first thing the child of God should do morning by morning is to obtain food for his inner man. As the outward man is not fit for work for any length of time except by when we take food, and as this is one of the first things we do in the morning, so it should be with the inner person, the inner man. We should take spiritual food for that, as everyone must allow. Now, what is the food for the inner man? Not prayer, but the Word of God. And here again, not the simple reading of the Word of God so that it only passes through our minds like water runs through a pipe, but considering what we read, pondering over it, applying it to our hearts, and meditating on it. So, that's, brothers and sisters, I cannot tell you how good that advice is and how helpful it has been for me in this just wreck of a year 2020 to before I read the news, before I check texts from my friends when I get up or church members or whatever, before I see anything that's else that's going on, and usually before I even get out of bed, I get into the Word of God and get some nourishment for my soul. Because, man, these times are so difficult, so difficult. And, and, and Mueller lived through difficult times over and over again. And Just like he lived on nourishment for his inner man from the word, we need that too. So I'm not just merely talking about having a quiet time. That's a good thing. I'm talking about feasting on the word every day. Mueller's talking about feasting on the word every day, meditating on it, and letting that nourish us into a time of prayer. If we walk in that, I believe we are going to walk in the same kind of happiness of soul that Mueller did. Now, I've got a picture of Mueller on BibleReadingPodcast.com for this episode, episode number 303. Now, he's not grinning ear from ear or anything like that, but when you actually look up pictures of Mueller's, in so many of them, he's smiling, and I, I don't know, call me crazy, but it just seems like he has the most genuine, warm, and happy smile. And this is a guy who, when he talks about happiness in the Lord, and, and just reading through his journals, you can tell he's not a hypocrite. He's not somebody that's, you know, sad all the time, but talks about happiness. You know, he is a living, was a living embodiment, embodiment, and even more so now in eternal life. This man was an embodiment of happiness in the Lord. So I believe you and I, we should sit at his feet and learn and learn to nourish our souls with the word of God that we might walk in that kind of happiness that's available for us. Well, let's continue as we get into the word. Second Kings chapter 6, verse 1. The sons of the prophet said to Elisha, Please notice that the place where we live under your supervision is too small for us. Please let us go to Jordan where we can each get along and can build ourselves a place to live there. Go, he said. Then one said, Please come with your servants. Well, I'll come, he answered. So he went with them, and when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. As one of them was cutting down a tree, the iron axe fell into the water, and he cried out, Oh, my master, it was borrowed. Then the man of God asked, Where did it fall? When he showed him the place, the man of God cut a piece of wood, threw it there, and made the iron float. Then he said, Pick it up. So he reached out and took it. 
When the king of Aram was waging war against Israel, he conferred with his servants, My camp will be at such and such a place. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Be careful passing by this place, for the Arameans are going down there. Consequently, the king of Israel sent word to the place the man of God had told him about, and the man of God repeatedly warned the king so the king would be on his guard. The king of Aram was enraged because of this matter, and he called his servants and demanded of them, Tell me, which one of us is for the king of Israel? One of his servants said, uh, No one, my lord the king. Elisha, the prophet in Israel, tells the king of Israel even the words you speak in your bedroom. So the king said, Go and see where he is, so I can send men to capture him. When he was told Elisha is in Dothan, he sent horses, chariots, and a massive army there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up early and went out, he discovered an army with horses and chariots surrounding the city. So he asked Elisha, Oh, my master, what are we to do? Elisha said, Don't be afraid, for those who are with us outnumber those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed, Lord, please open his eyes and let him see. So the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he saw that the mountain was covered with horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. When the Arameans came against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, Please strike this nation with blindness. So he struck them with blindness according to Elisha's word. Then Elisha said to them, This is not the way, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will take you to the man you're looking for. And he led them to Samaria. When they entered Samaria, Elisha said, Lord, open these men's eyes and let them see. So the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw that they were in the middle of Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, Should I kill them? Should I kill them, my father? Elisha replied, Don't kill them. Do you kill those you have captured with your sword or your bow? Set food and water in front of them so they can eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared a big feast for them. When they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away, and they went to their master. The Aramean raiders did not come into Israel's land again. Sometime later, King Ben-Hadad of Aram brought all his military units together and marched up and laid siege to Samaria. So there was a severe famine in Samaria, and they continued the siege against it until a donkey's head sold for 34 ounces of silver and a cup of dove's dung sold for two ounces of silver. As the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him, My lord, the king, help! He answered, If the lord doesn't help you, where can I get help for you? From the threshing floor or the wine press? In other words, they didn't have any food. Then the king asked her, What's the matter? She said, This woman said to me, Give up your son, and we will eat him today. Then we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him, and I said to her the next day, Give up your son, and we will eat him. But she has hidden her son. When the king heard the woman's words, he tore his clothes. Then as he was passing by on the wall, the people saw that there was sackcloth under his clothes next to his skin. And he announced, May God punish me and do so severely if the head of Elisha, son of Shaphat, remains on his shoulders today. Elisha was sitting in his house, and the elders were sitting with him. The king sent a man ahead of him, but before the messenger got to him, Elisha said to the elders, Do you see how this murderer has sent someone to remove my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door to keep him out. Isn't the sound of his master's feet behind him? While Elisha was still speaking with him, the messenger came down to him. Then he said, This disaster is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Daniel chapter 10 verse 1 In the third year of King Cyrus of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. 
The message was true and was about a great conflict. He understood the message and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three full weeks. I didn't eat any rich food. No meat or wine entered my mouth, and I didn't put any oil on my body until the three weeks were over. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up and there was a man dressed in linen with a belt of gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the brilliance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and feet like the gleam of polished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. Only I, Daniel, saw the vision. The men who were with me did not see it, but a great terror fell on them and they ran and hid. I was left alone, looking at this great vision. No strength was left in me. My face grew deathly pale, and I was powerless. I heard the words he said, and when I heard them, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. Suddenly a hand touched me and set me shaking on my hands and knees, and he said to me, Daniel, you are a man treasured by God. Understand the words that I am saying to you. Stand on your feet, for I have now been sent to you. After he said this to me, I stood trembling. Don't be afraid, Daniel, he said to me. For from the first day that you purposed to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your prayers were heard. I have come because of your prayers, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia opposed me for twenty-one days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me after I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to help you understand what will happen to your people in the last days, for the vision refers to those days. While he was saying these words to me, I turned my face towards the ground and was speechless, Suddenly, one with human likeness touched my lips, and I opened my mouth and said to the one standing in front of me, My Lord, because of the vision, anguish overwhelms me, and I am powerless. How can someone like me, your servant, speak with someone like you, my Lord? Now I have no strength, and there is no breath in me. Then the one with a human appearance touched me again and strengthened me, and he said, Don't be afraid, you who are treasured by God. Peace to you. Be very strong. As he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. And he said, Do you know why I have come to you? I must return at once to fight against the prince of Persia, and when I leave, the prince of Greece will come. However, I will tell you what is recorded in the book of truth. No one has the courage to support me against those princes except Michael, your prince. Finally, First Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work. An overseer, therefore, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not greedy. He must manage his own household competently and have his children under control with all dignity. If anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? He must not be a new convert or he might become conceited and incur the same condemnation as the devil. Furthermore, he must have a good reputation among outsiders so that he does not fall into disgrace and the devil's trap. Deacons, likewise, should be worthy of respect, not hypocritical, not drinking a lot of wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They must also be tested first. If they prove blameless, then they can serve as deacons. Wives, likewise, should be worthy of respect, not slanderers, self-controlled, faithful in everything. Deacons are to be husbands of one wife, managing their children in their own households competently. For those who have served well as deacons acquire a good standing for themselves and great boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I write these things to you, hoping to come to you soon, but if I should be delayed, 
I have written so that you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. And most certainly the mystery of godliness is great. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Amen. Yes, and bless the Lord. May it be a great Lord's Day to you, for you, friends. Good day, and Godspeed.